0: You know, several years ago, uh, I helped move my 90-year-old grandmother out of a rather large house into a small two-bedroom apartment. And as a result, she had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And one of the things that she gave me was this family Bible. I didn't think much of it at the time. I thanked her and Went home and just put it on a shelf. It stayed there for a number of years. And then one day I noticed it up there and I pulled it off and began thumbing through it when I came across this page right here. It's entitled Family Records. It's the genealogy of my family. The daily family. And as I was reading through the names found on this page, I mean... I noticed Josiah Daly, my great-grandfather. And I was reminded he was elected sheriff of Tate and DeSoto counties back in Mississippi just after the Civil War. And then his son, Mays Daly, my grandfather, he was the state head of Prohibition for the state of Mississippi. And recorded on this page were dates of birth Dates of death going all the way back to 1829. Now, chances are these pages would not be of any interest to you at all. That is, unless your last name is Daly. In fact, if you were to pick up this book and begin reading it, you would probably just blow by these pages. You know, isn't that the way we tend to respond to a genealogy when we come to it in the Bible? I mean, it's just a dusty, old, dry list of names. But I love the way one pastor put it. He said this. You can put it up on the screen. Sometimes the driest vineyards yield the sweetest grapes. Now, that's what we have in Luke chapter 3. On the surface, it appears to be a dry, dusty, old List of 76 names, most of which we can't even pronounce. Yet, did you know the 16 verses recorded in Luke 3 solves one of the gnarliest problems in the entire Old Testament? In fact, why don't you turn with me there, Luke 3, beginning in verse 23, and let's explore this vineyard together. Uh, Beginning in verse 23, Luke says this, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Naga'i the son of Maath, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Simei, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi. And then it continues. The son of Kosam, the son of Elmodam, the son of Ur, the son of Josi, the son of Eleazar, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonon, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Minan, the son of Matath. Thoth, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadad, the son of Raham, the son of Herzon, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob. And then it continues the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Oh my, wow. What a list of names. It sounds like a convention of Jedi warriors, doesn't it? (laughs) But the first thing this list of names tells us is quite significant. In fact, it informs us that Jesus... He was a part of history. I mean, this list spans the entire length of the Old Testament. I mean, from Adam in the beginning all the way to the birth of Jesus. And it reminds us that the Gospels appealed to history. In other words, Jesus' birth was not some fairy tale. It wasn't a myth. It was not some legend. I mean, this list of names ties Jesus to history. It connects him to a people and to places and to uh, generations and to historical rootedness showing that he was an actual living, breathing, historical figure. By the way, did you know every time you write a check or sign a document that you attest to that fact? I mean, for a document to be legal... It's got to be signed and dated, and every time you record a date, you attest to the fact that Jesus was a person that was rooted in history. Now, that's because 2017 refers, is referred to as Anno Domini. It's a Latin phrase. It means in the year of our Lord, abbreviation A.D., Everything before Jesus' birth is designated B.C., before Christ. Everything after his birth is designated A.D. Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Declaring Jesus was a figure that lived and breathed in history. Now, if Jesus is a real person in history, then he must have experienced real life. But, but not only that, he must be able to understand the difficulties you and I face in life. Uh, in fact, he desires to walk with us through those difficulties. And he even desires uh, to share with us resources that will help us face those painful, difficulty, difficult issues in life. M- maybe you're anticipating facing some as we move into the Christmas season. I mean, as you think about the next 30 days, what do you need most? Do you need wisdom? Maybe um, this Christmas season is going to remind you that you've lost a loved one. Because Jesus has experienced life, He understands the pain of loss. And He tells us He wants to walk with us as we grieve the losses that we experience in this life. I mean, do you need comfort? Do you need guidance? Maybe you need the power to love a very annoying relative over the holiday season. What would it be like this Christmas season if you asked Jesus, would you walk with me through the confusion of my life? What kind of difference would that make, knowing that he was with you and wants to help and guide you? Now, Did you notice how Luke began verse 23? I mean, it it began a little awkward. It says, now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, Luke tells us that around 30 years of age, well, Jesus began his public ministry. But did you notice how Luke describes Jesus' relationship with his father, Joseph? He says, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Now, that's there to remind us that Joseph was not Jesus' biological dad. He was his adoptive father. He was his legal father, but he wasn't his biological father. Remember, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. Now, you need to remember that because that's an extremely important piece of information that will impact the rest of this passage as we get to the end. Uh, but this genealogy not only proves Jesus was a historical figure, it shows that Jesus was also the fulfillment of prophecy. Do you know there are over 60 major prophecies, 270 ramifications recorded in the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah? And they're there so that Israel would be able to recognize and embrace the Messiah when he appears. And these prophecies predicted everything under the sun from the circumstances of his birth, that he would be born in the small town of Bethlehem, that his family would have to flee south to Egypt, uh, that he would be called a Nazarene all the way to his death, that Jesus would be crucified, uh, that he would, in his crucifixion, uh, he would be betrayed by a friend, And the price of that betrayal was going to be 30 pieces, not 29, not 28, 27, but 30 pieces of silver, not gold. Gold was a typical coinage uh, of that day, but he says 30 pieces of silver. And that silver would be thrown on the floor of the temple, not placed on a table in a house. And it would be used to buy a potter's field, meaning a poor person's grave. Now, I just gave you ten prophecies right there, just ten. But there are over 60 major prophecies, 270 different ramifications, which were all fulfilled in the life of one person in history, a carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus now, to understand the significance of what I just told you, uh, Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, looked at the mathematical probability that just eight of these prophecies would be fulfilled in the life of any one person. Now, according to Stoner's research, the probability that eight of these prophecies would be fulfilled in the life of a person is one chance in one hundred quadrillion. Now, that's a one followed by 17 zeros. Now, I don't know about you, I can't comprehend a, a number that big. So I want you to imagine you took the state of Ohio and we had 17 quadrillion silver dollars. And we poured them into the state of Ohio. You know how deep that pile of silver dollars would be? Twelve and a half feet deep covering the entire state of Ohio. Now say you took one of them out. You took a marker, you put a check on it. You threw it back into the pile. Mix them up with bulldozers, if you prefer, all over the state of Ohio, everywhere. Then blindfold a man. Put him in an airplane. Have him fly over the state of Ohio. At his discretion, he parachutes out blindfolded. He lands. He takes off the blind... Or with the blindfold on, he reaches down. He picks up a silver dollar. The probability that he would pick up that check, silver, dollar is the same probability that just eight of these prophecies would be fulfilled in the life of one person. And Jesus fulfilled all 60 major prophecies. Now, why should fulfilling prophecy even matter to us today? Well, I think there's several reasons it ought to matter. I mean, the first thing it does is it gives me confidence that Jesus must be who he said he is, and as a result, he can do what he said he can do. Secondly, it reminds me that God follows through on his promises. Thirdly, it affirms that God, he must be in control of the events of life, even to the smallest, minutest detail of life. So if God is sovereignly and majestically working through the events of life, moving and maneuvering circumstances to bring about his good purposes, then maybe, just maybe, I can trust him with the confusion in my life and he can engage with me and lead me down a path that I need to go. So Luke's genealogy shows Jesus is a part of history, he's fulfilled prophecy, but it also shows that Jesus has the right pedigree. How many of you are cat lovers? Raise your hand. Oh, we've got a few of you out there. How many are dog lovers? Oh, okay, okay. Now, if you're a dog lover, chances are good you, you may have watched the national dog show that came on on Thanksgiving uh, this past week. You think they got a cat show? National Cat Show. What can a cat do? Fetch? Well, well anyway. Um, the, the National Dog Show. Let's say you, you you probably watched that. And if you watched it, you discovered best in show was won by this adorable little fellow right there. Yeah. It, that's uh, yeah, I forgot what it is. It's a Brussels Griffin. A Brussels Griffin... And his name is Newton. He looks like a Newton, doesn't he? <laughs> now, Newton beat out a number of other competitors. He beat out the Whippet, the English Sheepdog, the Portuguese Waterdog, the Staffordshire Terrier, the Springer Spaniel, and the French Bulldog. He beat them out. And competing, now, for best in show, well, you've got to have the right pedigree. For among dog aficionados, pedigree is everything. Do you know the same is true in Israel? Your, your genealogy proves that you have the right pedigree. And in Hebrew culture, pedigree was extremely important. In other words, if you wanted to buy or sell land, you had to provide proof of pedigree. Talking about your genealogical record, in other words. That's because land had to stay within a particular tribe and family. You remember when Israel came into the promised land, uh, they divided it up among tribes, and that land that was given to this tribe was divided up among family lines. And then every 50 years, at the year of Jubilee, all property reverted back to the original families that it was given to. So a genealogical record had to be produced to show and prove that this land was indeed given, this, or this, these people were indeed given this segment of land so it stayed in the original tribe and in the original family. That was important. But but the genealogical record is also important if you wanted to serve in the priesthood. In fact, you couldn't serve in the temple unless you, well, could prove that you were a Levite and a direct descendant of Aaron. And if you were to marry, your fiance, had to prove her Levitical heritage back five generations. Uh, but most important, m- most important... It, 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 the the um, it, oh I, most important uh, anyone claiming to be Messiah anyone claiming to be Messiah had to prove his heritage all the way back through David's line back to Abraham and there were thousands of people who were claiming to be Messiah throughout the ages. So we find the Old Testament, well, it's very specific in its detail. It says Israel's Messiah would come from the seed of the woman. Now, everyone else born came from the seed of a man, but it says Messiah would come from the seed of the woman, and then it gets even more specific. The lineage of Shem, the race of the Jews, the line of Isaac, line of of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the family of Jesse, the house of David, and every one of those is recorded for us here. It's exactly what you see in Luke chapter three. Wow! But, but there is a problem. Now, many of you are probably aware that there's another genealogy in the in the New Testament, and it differs from the one found in Luke. It's found in Matthew in the opening verses, and the differences between the two are quite significant. In fact, Luke's genealogy begins with Jesus, goes all the way back to Adam. It contains 76 names. But that well, starts with Abraham and moves forward to Jesus containing 41 names. So so you could say Luke's genealogy is an ascending genealogy. uh, Matthew's is a descending genealogy. And as a result, in Luke's genealogy, Luke, he employs the phrase son of, as in Joseph, the son of Heli. While in Matthew, he uses the word begot, as in Jacob begot Joseph. Now, it's interesting that in both of these genealogies, the names from Abraham to David are identical. But once you move past David, there's little or no agreement between these two lists, and that's a problem. So why are all the there why are there all discrepancies in these two genealogies? Well, that has been an issue scholars have discussed for years and argued about, and most have concluded that when you get To Matthew's gospel, he's giving us Jesus' genealogy through Joseph going back to Abraham. But in in, in Luke's genealogy, he's giving us Jesus' genealogy through Mary going all the way back to Adam. In other words, what you have are two different family trees. And really, that makes perfect sense. You see, the four Gospels were written to different audiences. They had different audiences in mind. Just like, by the way, our two-service design has different audiences in mind here at Horizon. I mean, this service, the equipping service, is designed for Christ followers. And so we study the Bible verse by verse. We have an extended time of worship. But our equipping service is different. Our equipping service has people in mind who are exploring, trying to discover who Jesus is. So we don't have worship in our exploring services. We play secular music. They're different audiences, different people we're trying to communicate to. It's called contextualization, and that's one of the reasons Luke and Matthew have different genealogies. I mean, for instance, take... Matthew. Did you know that was written to a Jewish audience? And what mattered to a Jewish audience were the promises made to Abraham that there would be a Messiah that would come that would rescue his people one day, the Jewish people. And so Jesus' genealogy in Matthew shows the lineage back to Abraham, answering the critical question for them, what is Jesus' relationship to Abraham? And that's why Matthew works forward from father to son, showing that relationship. And by the way, in Matthew's gospel, Mary's name is barely mentioned. But we find all sorts of information about Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father. But now, when you come to Luke's gospel... Well, that was written not to a Jewish audience. It was written to a Gentile audience. And and its focus is not on a particular family tree or the covenantal promises made to Israel. They're not even interested in that. But they are interested in exploring, is Jesus really, did he really become a man who lived and breathed? And that's why Luke takes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, showing his humanity. And, by the way, in in Luke's Gospel, you have uh, Joseph's name barely mentioned. But we find out all sorts of information in detail about Jesus' birth mother, Mary, linking him back to the human race. Now, if you look carefully at Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, you'll notice Matthew says, says, Jacob begot Joseph. But in Luke, it says Joseph, the son of Heli. Now is that a contradiction? Joseph can't have two fathers. So, I mean, which is it? Is Jacob his father or is Heli his father? Well, the scriptures in other places clearly teach that Joseph's father's father was Jacob. Now, if that's true, then who the heck is this Heli? Well, the Jewish Talmud, which is a commentary on the ancient Hebrew Old Testament, tells us that Heli was actually Mary's father. And the reason Luke says that Joseph, the son of Heli, is because in Mary's family there were no biological male heirs. And Luke records the genealogy here in a customary fashion, listing only the male heirs in that family of which Joseph became when he eventually married Mary. So that makes sense. But there's an even bigger problem. Remember I told you that Luke's genealogy solves one of the gnarliest problems and issues in the entire Old Testament? Did you know that God cursed David's bloodline? God did. In fact, in Jeremiah 22, God pronounces a curse on Jehoiachin, he's also known uh, by the name of Jachaniah, that's his Hebrew name, which sometimes in the Bible gets shortened to Kaniah. He's known by all three names. And Jehoiachin was the direct bloodline descendant of King David. But he did evil in the sight of God. And as a result, God says this in Jeremiah 22. Thus says the Lord, Write this man, speaking of Jehoiachin, down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now this curse, God pronounced, literally came true. You see, Jehoiachin was the king of Judah, but he just served three months. And then God took him off the throne by the means of Nebuchadnezzar. And then Nebuchadnezzar appointed Jehoiachin's uncle, Zedekiah, to rule in his place. However, Zedekiah was not a direct bloodline descendant of David. And Zedekiah, well, he ruled Judah for one year before he was swept into captivity. Seventy years goes by. And Israel's release from their captivity. But never again did a direct bloodline descendant of David serve on the throne. Never again. Well, that brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? And that is, if the royal bloodline of David is cursed, then how can Jesus ever reign as the son of David one day and legitimately become Israel's Messiah and King, as was predicted by Isaiah. Now, that's why Luke's genealogy is so critical. You see, Luke traces Jesus' genealogy back to David, but not through Solomon, the firstborn son of Bathsheba. That line leads down to Jehoiachin, and that line is cursed. So how does God keep that curse from falling on Jesus? Well, this is amazing. What he does is he eliminates the male seed. Remember, Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father. He's his adoptive father, his legal father. Joseph, remember, is a direct descendant of David, but his bloodline has been cursed. So God avoids his own curse by having Jesus born of a virgin. And you thought the virgin birth was not that important. Everything hinges on it. But having now, I mean, circumvented this curse, how can Jesus legitimately lay claim to the throne as a descendant of David in order to be Israel's Messiah and King? Well, this is where Luke is so amazing. Notice, even though Joseph was... Jesus' biological father, remember, Luke, uh, Joseph was his biological father. Mary was his biological mother. And so Luke traces uh, Mary's genealogy through Nathan, David's second-born son to Bathsheba, All the way back to David, thereby proving Jesus to be of the royal bloodline of David, avoiding the curse that was placed on Zedekiah. Isn't that amazing? Now, the prophecies made by Isaiah can be fulfilled, can't they? You remember the prophecy made by Isaiah, don't you? If you don't, it'll, it'll become familiar as I read it. Here's what Isaiah said. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David. And over his kingdom to order it and establish it with the judgments, with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. So at this time of year when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, you now realize a whole lot more was going on than maybe you ever imagined. So Jesus, we can see, is part of history, fulfillment of prophecy. He had the right pedigree, but Jesus also came to save humanity. In fact, if you look back at Luke, the 76 names there, 76 individual listed listed there, Jesus' genealogy, I want you to know, they are not saints. We tend to idealize them, but they were not perfect by a long shot. I mean, just recall a few of them. Abraham, well, he was a liar and he gave his wife away twice. He was no saint. Terah, he was an idolater. Did you know David? He was an adulterer and a murderer. Jacob, well, he was a cheater and a thief. Judah, he traded slaves, he enjoyed prostitutes, and he committed incest. I mean, really, what we have in this list of names is a microcosm of humanity. And Jesus said that he came to rescue us from all of that. I mean, the fact that Jesus could take imperfect people like the people on that list and accomplish his purposes is mind-boggling. But what Jesus does for those of us who lean into him and say, I trust you to forgive my sins and to give me eternal life is even more astonishing than you ever imagined. Because in doing that, Jesus not only forgives your sins and gives you eternal life, but he brings you into his royal bloodline. He adopts you as his Child, You become a child of a king and you get to partake in his royal lineage. And that's exactly why Peter describes Christ's followers this way. But you, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Father, we are humbled and really in some ways shocked at the detail with which you worked through history. And you brought your son so we would not miss him. And Father, if if you can work through the details of history like that, I just imagine what you can do in the details of our lives. May may this time of year be a time that we see you in, in fresh eyes in a new way and we realize that you have come so far to come and rescue us and bring us into your royal bloodline. May we never see the Christmas story the same again. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, before you leave, I need to tell you three things, three short things. First of all, um, today is the deadline for Giving Tree. Your unwrapped presents need to be turned in today. Secondly, we've got eight New Year's Eve services coming up, uh, and they are going to be on the hour beginning... At 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, we skip the 2 o'clock hour, and then we do 3, 4, and 5. And you will need tickets in order to come. It's the only way we can control the crowds for our New Year's Eve service. So get your tickets today. I mean, our um, well, you know what I'm talking about. It's lucky I just got through that list of names. Now you're going to call me on this? And for those of you who like to attend on Saturday, that weekend, New Year's... I mean, <laughs> Christmas Eve weekend will have no Saturday service. So, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for coming.